0: Well, hey, Rock Harbor, it's great to see all of y'all. Hey, we got something to do. We got to say hi to our hub venue, all you Rocky-ites, okay? So on three, let's say, hey, oh, let's call them Rock Hubbers, okay, Rock Hubbers. On three, let's say, hey, Rock Hubbers, one, two, three, hey, Rock Hubbers. It's great to have you guys in this room and then also everybody there that's at the video venue. Um, we're absolutely loving what God is doing and built a really great team that's over there to get launched. So this is, as, as they shared a little bit earlier, this is our soft launch for this this team. They're working out some of the kinks. Um, we there's lots of like, like remodel and some things going on in the middle of today. And so we're just excited for what God is doing over at the hub, but also what he's doing here at Rocky as well. And next week we get the chance to all be together. We're going to have baptisms and celebration and send off. And then on the 21st, we're going to launch that venue, which is an exciting day for us. And um, man, we're so thankful how God has been multiplying and, and you guys have been creating space. I mean, the reason why we're launching this hub and inviting people to attend different services services, the early or the late, is to create room as as God keeps bringing people and you keep inviting people. And uh, this is the the opportunity that we have to continue to say, hey, who do I know that doesn't attend church who I know that uh, maybe doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and invite them uh, to hear the message of Jesus Christ. And so really, really exciting things. Um, Next week, we start a series, or in two weeks, uh, called At the Movies. And at the Movies, when you came in, you were given a program and an invitation. And so Jesus spoke in parables. And in story and modern day story for us, for some of you, you read books. How many of you? Okay, four. How many of you guys watch movies? Everyone. Okay, and so I'll never forget the first book I ever read was Where the Red Fern Grows, and like I think that might have been the last. Um, other than the Bible, okay, other than the Bible. But, um, Many of us watch movies and it gives us an opportunity to talk about what people are talking about, whether that, that be a movie and say, okay, what are simple principles that we can learn for that, from that, that have to do with scripture and tie it all together and create a platform, not for churched people to come to a church room and watch a movie that's not so churchy. Um, but it's a chance for us to say to our friends, we've, Watched The Greatest Showman or Jumanji or Incredibles 2 or Remember the Titans. That's just for me. I don't care if anybody doesn't like it. That's like an annual favorite in our house. Every fall we watch that show. Um, <laughs> Attitude reflects leadership, you know. And I can just drop those lines like all day long, sunshine. So, um, but we're going to be watching clips and uh, creating an environment in the lobby, uh, welcoming uh, people to come in here you know, who Christ is, but also through a relevant way. And so it's an opportunity. You got those invites to start inviting people now. It's two weeks from today. Many of you are going to be getting a mailer uh, to your house if you live within a a few miles here of Rocky Mountain or a few miles of, of the venue. Uh, The Pony Express doesn't come out to where I live, and so I'm probably not going to get the mailer, but I know this is going on, so I have my invite that I can still invite people to come and to be part of this. And so the goal of doing a mailer, most people aren't going to show up at church because they got something in their mailbox, but your invitation, uh, your window sticker, your conversation, living the lifestyle of following Jesus and inviting people here is what compels people, like almost over 80% of people when we asked just a few months ago, why, how did you find out about Rock Harbor? It was from a personal invite from a friend or a family member. And so this is an opportunity for us to, to do that again and invite people to come out be part of that. Hey, today we're, we've got two weeks left in 1 Corinthians. Please don't cheer. I know it's been 26 weeks, but, uh, we have, uh, two more weeks in it. This week we're in 1 Corinthians 15. So if you have your phones, you have your Bibles. Um, also on your program, there's a couple of blanks. There's not a lot, okay? So this, you can get an A plus by filling out all of the blanks and a, and a piece of candy. Um, or something, uh, but remember, if you don't fill out all the blanks, like your grade goes down really fast. Okay, because one one miss, and you're like at a seventy-two percent. So, um, but there's notes in there. Also, there's weekly reading uh, that we have for you, and some great announcements as well. You know, there's a message in our world, in our culture, in our life of destruction, death, despair. When we look at God's word, it brings life. It brings life to us. When we look at the hope and the promise we have in Jesus, it brings life to us. In First Corinthians 15, 24, if you're a follower of Jesus, this will get you pumped up because it talks about the end. The first three words, four words say, then comes the end. It's saying, this is how it's going to end. If you're not a follower of Jesus or you're maybe new to faith or you're going, I, you know, I kind of grew up in church or I've been to a couple of things. So this is my first experience with church, or I don't really understand, you know, what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. This will compel us. This should compel you to say, man, if this is how it ends, like I want to be on that team. Okay. Here's the words that Paul shares. That's talking about what Jesus has done for us there. Then comes the end when he, God delivers the kingdom of God. Uh, to, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all, notice this word all is mentioned a lot. If you'd like to underline in your Bible, just start underlining those words all, all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I love that. Like death was placed under the feet of God. He was, Jesus was crucified on the cross, but he didn't stay there. He rose, conquered sin, conquer death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, when the son himself also will be subject, subjected to him, who put all things in subjection under him. Under him, that God may be all in all i don 't know if you 're kind of confused, but what it 's saying is God rules, God reigns, and everything is under his feet, including that Jesus offered himself as an offering saying hey i 'm the Son of God, God the Father, what do you want me to do? He even asked in the garden as Jesus was here, hey if there 's any other way to save the world than to be crucified if there 's any other way then let this cup pass from me, and he subjected he surrendered himself to the will of the Father. But all things are under God's foot, including death. We're gonna be talking about life and death today. We're gonna to be talking about this time and present that we have in life and then also life after death, what happens after we die, what is eternity, what does what is that that mean? And the reason Paul is talking about this, there was a doctrine that was going around. It came from Judaism. That was basically, you kind of live your 60, 70, 80, 90 years on this earth. And then from there, you die and you kind of go into a nothingness. You kind of go into a, a soul sleep. And that's what people were teaching. And, and this was not true. So Paul's addressing it specifically and saying, man, there's life after death. Like, what is the point? Like, let's eat, let's drink, let's be married for tomorrow. We're going to die. Like, let's live for ourselves right now. If there's no purpose in the future and there's no eternity, but if there is, it should change everything about how we're living. So he's addressing dressing this. You know, Paul kind of pulls this. I don't want to call it a Jesus juke, but Jesus would be asked questions sometimes. And he would answer a question in a different way than maybe the audience was wanting. Like one time they came up and they said, Hey, Jesus, should we pay our taxes? They're like, he's going to say no because the government and because he rules, they don't rule and you know all this. And he's like, should we pay our taxes? And they, he said, held up a coin and he said, whose face is on this coin? They're like, Caesar. And he said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. And they're like, dang it, you know, we're looking for the right answer. And He just juked us, you know. And so Paul is asked this question or this questions going around. And he kind of does a little bit of a juke because there's a bigger question to answer that maybe they weren't asking. Okay, here's what it says in verse 29. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized on their behalf? So there's a practice that was going on in this day and time within pagan religions where people were being vicariously baptized for other people. So this didn't make sense. And Paul's going, okay, so many of you don't believe in life after death. Like we just die. And it's like over, our souls don't go anywhere, like we're just dead and we're into like a sleep of we don't remember, we don't know, we're just dead. We're like dust, right? But then you're on this earth, you're being baptized for the dead. Like if if there's no life after death in those purpose, then why are you participating in that religious activity? Why, like why is that taking place? And so it's posing this question of, Why would we do this? Well, this isn't just something that happened within pagan religions in the Roman Empire time. This is also something that's practiced today within a few religions where you could go into a church or into a ceremony and be baptized for a dead relative. And that what, what that religion or what that group of people or those groups of people would say is by me doing this, that I could give favor to someone who passed away before me. Maybe they didn't believe. Maybe they didn't know. Maybe they hadn't heard. But by me participating in this activity, I could somehow shift their eternal destination, their eternal standing, their inter- eternal understanding. So I'm going to participate on this side. So the challenge with this is, is Paul doesn't necessarily come out and say, don't do this. He doesn't come out and say, do do this. He's saying, do do. <laughs> he says, uh, you should never say that together. Um, and you wouldn't notice if I didn't bring attention, but I'm like a middle schooler. And I just like, doo-doo. <laughs> so um, anyways, Paul didn't say to do it or to don't do it. He answers a grander question and says, what's the purpose of this life if there's not something after? And what did Jesus talk about? And what did Jesus instruct us in? And if we just take like only this scripture, we would like say, well, it sounds like there's a baptism for the dead. He doesn't talk about that. The problem with that is the rest of Scripture. Like, we can't take one Scripture and go, you know, it doesn't really answer, so I'm going to kind of make an assumption based on that. No, we have to look at the rest of Scripture. We also have to look at what Jesus did. If we were to be followers of Jesus, this is God's own Son given for us, an offering once and for all to die, that he lived 100% human and 100% God. He conquered sin, conquered death, went to heaven. Was he baptized for the dead? He was baptized... But he wasn't baptized for the dead. So we got to look at this and say, okay, what does this mean? And when we cross reference it with the rest of scripture, with the Bible that we've been given by God, then we'll recognize, like, it's a very common principle. It's a very clear teaching throughout the Bible that we are to be baptized not as part of our salvation, but a celebration of a salvation, of our salvation. And we're not being baptized for anybody else other than, like, the audience of one. It's for God. It's to say, like, I've surrendered my life to God, but I publicly am going to be baptized, not for anyone else, but and not for forgiveness of my sin, but because I have a relationship with God and I want to celebrate that and picture death, burial, and resurrection. That's what baptism represents. John 3.18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Meaning, Like we are condemned. We are separate from God because of our sin. But because of the only son of God, the the name of Jesus, we can cross from death to life because of what he's done for us. Not because of our good works, not because someone else did something upon our death that is going to change our eternal status, but because of what he's done for us. Jesus actually said this. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the father but through me. That if there's a chasm between us and God, Jesus is the one that laid his life down to bridge the gap so that we could walk over the gift that was given in him. The only gift that could pay the payment of death where death was crushed under the foot of God the Father because of what was done for us. He's the only way. Hebrews 9.27 says it's it's appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment we're going to die. We're going to live one time. We are going to die one time. One time. And after that, the judgment, not like, hey, after that, there's going to be a time of waiting that maybe someone like between here and, and, and actual judgment, like there's a time of waiting that I get to kind of, hopefully somebody does something for me. Hopefully that next group of people that comes up in this earth after me, they're not as good at me as, as me. And God's going to grade on a curve. And I used to be flunking, but now I'm passing because they're so bad. And the world has gotten so bad that, man, the way that you lived is just, it's actually kind of better than I thought it was. So guess what? You can go into eternity with me. No, that's not the case. I love when teachers are like, we're going to grade on a curve. That was always good news for me. That was like, hey, 1.0 to 2.0. You know what I mean? Like I just went from a D to a C like that, you know? This is not the case. It's appointed once for us to die, and after that, the judgment. We're judged for what we do on this earth, not what we do for other people who've passed before us. See, the thing with having a practice like this, it could make us feel better on this earth about the eternity of other people, but it's made up by a man-made practice. Rather than something that is... Built from scripture, rather than something that was practiced and lived out by Jesus, we start putting our hope in, and we get this, I just, I feel better about things. Even though it's clearly defined what life and death and present and eternity looks like, that it takes a surrendered heart to Jesus Christ. And this is a personal decision. See, salvation is personal. It's not corporate. You weren't born into Jesus. No, you were born into sin. Like, look at your kids, like they get about a month old and you're like, yeah, this, this child sins, you know, it doesn't take long. I mean, at first you're like, oh, they're so cute, so wonderful, you know, all that. And you're like, okay, I haven't slept in four weeks this baby's a demon. You know, I mean, that's what like the sin nature shows itself really soon after a child is born. And that sin is what separates us as cute as those babies are. And as much as you think your kids are perfect and they deserve a better grade and they need more playing time and your kids don't ever do anything wrong. Like even with all of that, they've still sinned and you've seen it. You and I have sinned. That sin separates us. Not even a hint of sin is allowed in the presence of God. That's why he gave his only son for us so that we could have life in him. And the true peace that we're looking for, it only comes when we obey Jesus, when we obey his teachings, when we follow after him. Not when we practice religious rituals that were fabricated, made by men, maybe even for good reason, but not biblical foundation. So we have to guard ourselves from this. You know, salvation is in the Lord's hands. Like, you and I cannot will anyone to be saved. We can't will anyone to surrender their heart to Jesus Christ. We can't force anyone's hard heart to be softened. Like, it's by his glory and his work alone. Now, God can use us in that. God can use you to be a mouthpiece. God can use you to be an encouragement. You know what? As a pastor... I want to preach. I want to live. I want to live passionately. I want to live out of the overflow of my heart and preach. I don't want to be up here saying one thing and living another thing. Like I want to passionately pursue Jesus, but I can't make anyone go from death to life. I cannot. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you can't. You're a Cowboys fan. I know that for a fact. (laughs) You can't either, Bengals fan. I think there's like two of you in in Idaho. Um, But no one... No one can will one person's heart to a surrendered life to Christ. We're to proclaim. We're to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. We're to allow him to work through us so people would see the light and the reflection of Jesus. But we can't make the door open. The Holy Spirit's the one that opens the heart. And the two things that I see that kind of show that baptism for the dead is unnecessary is one, salvation's a personal matter. It's a personal matter. It's between you and the Lord. It's not between what anybody else would do for you. And the second thing would be, no one needs to be baptized to be saved. Salvation is not by baptism. Salvation is by surrendering your heart. Baptism is a picture of that salvation. So to confuse it and say, if we could do some religious or, you know, baptism for the dead act, that would shift anyone's eternity. We're, we're actually creating a ritual that would make us feel a little bit better, but doesn't have foundation in Scripture. And it doesn't have foundation in what Jesus did. We're to be followers of Jesus, whatever the cost. I will follow him. And Paul is saying, you know what? If there's no life after death, get off that train. Eat, drink, be merry, do whatever it is for you to receive temporary satisfaction. Do not hope for, do not live this life for anything in eternity if it doesn't matter. But if it does matter and there is life after death and there's more to this life than this life itself, then abandon everything that this world would have to offer for that. Because that, my friends, that's worth it. John five twenty eight says that we shouldn't marvel at this for there's an hour coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and they will come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What this is saying is there is an eternal destiny for all of us, the resurrection of life or the resurrection of judgment. Meaning if you have a relationship with Jesus, there is hope in heaven. But apart from Jesus Christ, there is separation to outer darkness. Judgment, destruction, the absence of God is what makes it outer darkness. There's no light. There's no hope of heaven. There's no hope of Jesus. There's no forgiveness of sin because we're separated from Him because He can't allow the sin in His presence. Well, I'm not a really bad sinner. Sin is sin. I'm not horrible. I'm like, honestly, I'm not that bad of a person. Have you sinned? Yes, we all have sinned. So there is separation. That means a payment needs to be made for that sin. Makes it really clear. When we hear these words, this can sound like kind of judgmental. But man, it's worth everything to proclaim the hope that's in Jesus Christ. Not to celebrate. Like... We should weep and mourn for those who do not have a relationship with God. We should desire so deeply for people to know who Jesus Christ is. This should motivate us to evangelism. This should motivate us to say, God, if you would use me to be a light. This should change the relationship we have with a neighbor. This should change the relationship we have with a friend. This should change our relationship with a family member. If there's a struggle that's there, we can't control them, obviously, but we would do everything to be the light of, of Christ. We would be gracious towards them. This should change a relationship with a, a coworker. We should look at this and say, okay, how could God possibly use me? And notice Paul answered this question by getting them to think about some things. He didn't try to prove a point. See, you and I, we can make a difference or we can make a point. But often we can't do both. And if we're going to come in and we're going to prove people, And we're going to yell at people and we're going to, I can't believe you would believe something so stupid. I can't believe you would practice this type of living or this type of, of sacrament or this type of whatever, or you would do this with your schedule. Like, I can't believe, like, we're not going to win anyone. We're not going to win. We may feel like we won an argument, but we probably lost a friendship. God used Paul in an amazing way. Jesus exampled this. Hey, I'm going to share a story. I'm going to be relational. I'm going to share the love of Christ, not the righteousness of God. Is God righteous? Absolutely. But our goal should be to share the love of Jesus Christ. Are we proving a point? Are we making a difference? See, with Christianity, it's very inclusive. You hear words that God would wish that no one would perish. Why is there judgment then? Because God is righteous. There's a righteous judgment for good, bad, for sin and forgiveness of sin. Very clear. But it's, just, it's inclusive. That's why it says, like, whoever knocks, I will open the door to them. If you seek, you're going to find. If you ask, I will answer. Whoever calls on me, I will answer. Romans ten thirteen. for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Some versions of the Bible, they say, Whosoever. That's like such an expired word, right? Whosoever. It's like Bible is whosoever, like modern day is like all y'all, okay? It's all y'all. So like all y'all at the hub and all y'all at Rocky, like it's all y'all. It's whosoever would call in the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation is for everyone. And Jesus came to remove barriers. Salvation isn't for one gender. What isn't for one race. It isn't for one people group. Salvation is for all, whosoever, whomever would call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The barriers are removed in this. That's why that's how we practice things here at Rock Harbor. We remove barriers. Why do we ask people to give up their seat? We're removing barriers. We don't want people to come in and go, I don't know where I'm going to sit. I don't know where I'm going to park. I don't want to be trying to check my kid in. Like We're trying to remove barriers to make room for people. Why are people coming at 8.15 in the morning? Because they're psycho. (laughs) No, because they like football, right? (laughs) You know? But many of them, they come at 8.15 so they can serve all y'alls, okay? All you whosoever's, okay? Because you all have a lot of children. And they come at 8.15. And they get the doors for you as you came into the service, many of them. And for some of them, they got the doors at the 8.15 service. They might have had like four donuts as well. But they came early. They made a sacrifice. There are some that are coming to 12 o'clock. You know, we're asking some middle school parents, like, would you be willing to come to the 12 o'clock service and have your kids connect in a group there to make room? Why would we do that? Why do we make sacrifice? Because we want everyone to be able to hear. We want to remove these barriers. You've heard us talk about serving. Hey, get involved, serve, serve in a ministry. Some people that are on host team, they're serving at a service, they're attending that, and then they serve after at the next one. They're getting overtime. For Jesus, right? Like they're serving in it. Why? Because they want to make room. They want to make space. They want to greet people. They know that people are coming in. It's an opportunity to serve. That's why I say attend one, serve one. It's a chance for us to give so that we can pour into this. So we can get part, be part of somebody hearing the life-changing message of Jesus. In our community group, we're talking about Isaiah 6-8. Isaiah 6-8. And Isaiah was commissioned and called out by God. And he was given just an amazing calling. And it says that he heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? We're talking about sacrifice. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Who's going to go early? Who's going to go late? Who's going to go serve? Who's going to go make room? Who's going to serve those parents as you share the message of Jesus with their kids in a circle, in a group? Who's going to make space? Who's going to get a door? Who's going to go for us? Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And we have hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people now at Rock Harbor that are saying, here am I, send me. Where do I need to go? What do I need to do? How do I make space? How do I make room? Because eternity matters. Paul's saying, if it don't matter, let's live for ourselves. But if it does matter, we better drop everything and chase after that. Because in verse 30, it says, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, my brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. It's a sacrifice. It's a death every day. It's dying every single Sunday to get up early. It's dying every single Sunday to create space, to encourage. It's dying to yourself when that coworker is just like, and you're just like, hey, would you like to go to after The Movies in two weeks with me? <laughs> you know what I mean? You're just saying, hey. What needs to die in me so that I can live for Jesus Christ? And Paul says it this way. What do I gain, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts, saying these people at Ephesus are psycho? What do I gain by going and risking my life? They're trying to kill me. They're trying to crucify me like they did Jesus. Why am I offering myself like this if the dead aren't raised? If there's no life after death, what's the purpose? Let us eat, let us drink, for tomorrow we're going to die. And then he says, do not be deceived. This needs to be in all caps. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Change the way you're thinking about stuff. Then he drops this line. Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And I say this to your shame. Wake up. Wake up from your drunken stupor. In your notes, it says fill in the blank. It actually says wake up from your blankety blank, okay? You can fill in whatever you would like, okay? Blank up, wake up from your blankety blank. Here it says drunken stupor. And you may say, okay, I'm not in a drunken stupor. You know found people find people? Found people find people. Maybe the blank for you, and I'm going to share a few things, is wake up from your self-centered focus. Keith, that's three words. There's two blanks. It's a hyphen. Get off me. Okay? <laughs> wake up from your self-centered focus. You need to break the me first habits. If you have a habit of focusing upon yourself, just so you know, this list is going to go on for about five things. It's going to get really quiet. You should have heard the 815. I was like, whoa, I think they're all leaving the church. Um, It's just going to be quiet because this is very real. We need to wake up from our self-centered focus. We got to break the me first habits. We need to wake up from our negative influences. There are some of us in here, you need a new set of friends. You need a new set of influences. You need new community around you. You got to wake up from this influence that's brought negativity, discouragement, even sinful behavior. We It says to stop sinning. Let's no longer sin. We need to wake up from our complacent comfort. You know, Satan loves that. He wants to lull and sedate you and I into just chilling, just relaxing. Hey, you're good. You know the Lord. You've got Jesus, a lot of great people around you. He wants us to become apathetic in our attitude. We need to wake up from an apathetic attitude. We're not thinking highly. We kind of live in passively. Just going, ah, does it really matter? God's God. I'm not. I trust him. He'll work it all out. It'll all be fine. I got Jesus. I'm good. We have apathy ruling and reigning in our life. I was writing some things down, and the next one stuck out to me probably more than any of these other. It's aimless running. I believe in the six services that we have today, there are some people in here that are running aimlessly. And I don't say that pointing a finger. I say that because I know I have run aimlessly. And I'm not talking about God gave a call on my life and I was supposed to be a pastor or I was supposed to be this or I was supposed to live in this way and these things happen and coach didn't put me in the fourth quarter or I would have taken state and if this would have happened, sorry, that was like Napoleon Dynamite mixed with little Jesus. Um, but Uncle Rico, what a classic. Um, but it's not these excuses as to why I didn't fulfill this calling to ministry. I'm talking about God told you, you know by scripture that you shouldn't keep on sinning, but you've kind of stopped. Do you realize you're running? In our faith, we're either running towards God or running away from him. No, I'm kind of saying, no, there is no treading water. The current of life is downstream. Are you running aimlessly? Because there's a mission that's clear. And we want to get it caught up on questions and what could have, should have, and would have. But we're to wake up. For some of us, we need to wake up from temporary pleasures. But guess what? You and I really like the things that this earth has to offer. We really like nature. We really like family time. And God can use all those things. God created nature. You know, God ordained the family. He's the one that started the whole dang thing. Okay? It wasn't like, oh, well, Adam ran into Eve and whoop, they had a baby. Crazy. You know, he, like God ordained all that. And I'm not going to go into that. That's our series on relationships. That made like all the guys really like that one. Um, but here's the reality. We really like the things of this earth. Like, I really would like to have a lot of money. I'd really like to have nice things. I'd really like my kids to get along. You know, I'd really like them to get really good grades and be accepted. I'd really like for, to have good standing with everyone. I'd really like for everybody to approve of me. But what if I become all things to all people? So that I might... Bless myself. And I seek these earthly pleasures. What I'm not saying is, don't ever go on a vacation. Give that money to the Lord. No. I'm not saying don't ever have anything that's nice. What I'm saying is, like, don't let it have your heart. We've got to wake up from that. And Paul's calling out because they've gotten confused in all of these different things. They've become passive. In verse 37, it talks about what we sow in this body. Is but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or another grain. It's talking about eternity. It's saying that in eternity, we're going to have heavenly bodies. In eternity, like, like fish and animals, they're not going to be the same. We all have different bodies and we have a body on this earth. But when we go into eternity, we're going to have a different body. I'm thinking, that's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? I mean, this is, pretty, this is something to brag about. But I'm also looking at eternity or not brag about. But I'm looking at eternity going, man... What does that mean? Am I going to have a sufficient amount of follicles on the top of my head rather than on my face? You know, I'm like, Lord, help me. So it says, so there is a resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, but what is raised is imperishable. That you and I are dying. And when we die to self, Christ is alive in us. And it's imperishable. The things we die to on this earth, That we give up, that we say, I no longer will let sin rule and reign. I want it under the feet of God. Then we become alive in him. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. It's sown in a natural body, but it's raised in a spiritual body. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. Paul said over and over, I've been shipwrecked. I've been abandoned. I've been forgotten. I've been beaten 400 and odd times. Go ahead hurt my physical body, my spiritual body, my soul, the eternity that I'm living for, you can't touch because it's heavenly and it's from him. See, we read a passage like that and it talks about what is sown. It talks about wheat. It talks about some other kind of grain. Well, I want to talk about some other kind of grain. Think about like a plant system. I don't even understand all the intricate details of, of a growth system within a plant, but I understand a little bit about corn, okay? I grew up on a farm. I grew up raising corn. Like I like everything corn, like corn dogs, like corn nuts, you know, corn hole. Like I like everything that's corn, corn mazes, corn bread, corn on the cob, corny jokes. Like I like all those things, but I want to talk about field corn, not sweet corn, field corn. That you feed cattle. Like those corn mazes, if you walk through them and you decide, like, I'm hungry, I'm going to eat, like, don't do it. You're going to get diarrhea, okay? Don't do it. It's not worth it. You probably broke it, break a tooth, and it's not going to go well for you, okay? When you look at a corn stalk, in there is a kernel. I'm going to show you a picture of of feed corn. not Not sweet corn, not candy corn, but this is feed corn here, okay? This is multiple feed corns, okay? In this picture here, okay? That's that. It comes on an ear, okay? This is an ear of corn. As a child, my sister and I, we would play corn. That's our game. Like kids now, like they play Fortnite. They play 2K. I played corn. You know what we do? We'd flick off the corn, 16 rows. We'd flick off one in the middle. And then we'd like all of a sudden, like do all the corn at one time and fill a bucket. We're like, we're playing corn. Like it was fun, dang it. Like that's what I did, okay? There's 800 kernels on an ear of corn. Most feed corn comes with one ear of corn per stalk. Sweet corn can get three and four. If it gets six and seven, don't eat it, okay? There's hormones in it, okay? Something went weird. But you've got your one stalk. You've got one ear, 800 kernels. Within one acre, 35,000 stalks of corn. That's a lot of corn, Within one quarter of ground, meaning a quarter mile by a quarter mile by a quarter mile by a quarter mile, mile, which is what I grew up with, is 160 acres. You have 35,000 stalks times 160 acres. You get 5 million, 5 million stalks of corn in a field. How many kernels? I'm glad you asked. 4 billion. 4 billion kernels. And I just went straight up, corn man, Rain man, okay? (laughs) All of that to say, you're one kernel. But I don't know, God. And all you can see, if you're one kernel, you're one stock, all you see is just right, what's in front of you. And the scripture is telling us, don't get caught up. Don't get caught up in trying to imagine the eternal when God has so much more, like, like we can see what's in front of us. And okay, I have one stock, I can see about 15 other stocks. You ever been in a cornfield? It's sweaty, it's nasty, it'll cut your skin. You can't see much past it. It's 10 feet tall. But then you raise up and you go from a seed to a stock to an entire sea of corn. So we try to understand the things of eternity according to what the Bible says. You know, John descripted a lot of eternity. God gave him special revelation. He saw with his own eyes what heaven looks like. But get this, even in his best description of it, he is a human using human vernacular to try to explain the glory and the majesty of something eternal. So he's like, okay, like streets gold. I can't explain it, but it's like goldish. And a gate and pearls and all the riches that he knew in this finite mind of his to possibly explain what eternity could look like. He's a kernel of corn. His eyes are lifted just a little bit to try to explain it all. And the God that I've given my life to and the God that has given me a gift that I do not deserve... When I see what's in front of me, I don't understand it. But when I rise above the death, you know, a seed has to die in order to live. It dies in the ground and then something springs up. Life springs up. Jesus died. He was placed in the ground and life sprung up from him. How glorious is that? How good is that? How mysterious is that? He could have, in any way possible, he could have brought us from death to life. He's God. But he gave us the very best. What in you needs to die so that life can spring up in you? What's the soil like around you? What's your blankety-blank that you need to fill in? That soil that's around you Is it hard? Is it ready? Is it fallow for God to do something great? Is there weeds everywhere that's choking out all the goodness of God? And life in Christ can't be seen. Well, I just don't understand. I'm just a kernel. A kernel that can produce an 800-fold. And that 800? An acre of 35,000. That 35,000? 160 acre of 5 million. That 5 million, 4 billion individual kernels that can multiply. And for us to try to figure out eternity and try to sum it up, we do a disservice to all that God has prepared for us. But I can tell you with my life, I know me and I know what I do not deserve. But by the grace of God, I've been given life in him. And that death that he walked through, that death that is underneath his foot, the end of this passage tells us, oh, death, where's your sting? Death, you can't hold me down. Death, where's your victory? And then he calls us out in verse 58 My beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor's not in vain till that soil, pull those weeds, plant that seed, continue to make sacrifice. And even though that we don't understand everything about eternity, there is a very, 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 very good God that has eternity secure for you. And he gives really good gifts. But it comes down to the question, Have you received that gift of salvation, which gives you eternity in him and life in him? Would you bow with me? God, we praise you today for the scripture. We praise you for the word. We praise you for clarity. God, that you bring life from death. From dying seed, God, you spring forth newness. And many of us in this room need that. And God, right now, while I pray, I pray that there are people that are crossing from death to life to say, I give my life to you. I don't understand it. I'm just a seed. But I don't want to miss out on the forest. I'm just a kernel, but I don't want to miss out on a sea of corn that is prepared for me. For God, I trust you. It's the name above every other name that we pray. The name of Jesus. Amen.